Praise the Lord, everybody. Thankful for everyone that has showed up here tonight for revival. Those watching by way of the web, pray that God blesses you tonight. And um, had a report today. It was with Sister Sons. Today went to see her. She's fallen twice, so let's pray for her. She's in her mid-90s. We're going to pray God will continue to touch her. She has always been a soul winner. She and her husband won about 150 people to the Lord, many of which are still living for God, and she had a list of preachers that's come out of her family. But she sent a, uh, one of our bulletins to one of her family members in Florida, and they started watching from Florida our services, and her son was healed of cancer through those prayers. Isn't that wonderful? God's a healer. God is a healer. Amen. Hallelujah. He's a healer. Praise God. We want to remind you, and you may be seated, want to remind you about tomorrow night. Uh, we are starting our life groups. Wednesday night teaching and training. So with Wednesday nights, and uh, how many have enjoyed our life groups that we've had? We... Bible says, ye err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And uh, so this theme of this series of life groups for the next uh, month and a half is going to be on future planning. Future planning. How many ever made the statement, if I had only known? Well, we're giving you an opportunity to know so you can make some changes now. And uh, so the subject that we will be dealing with tomorrow is talking about financial investing. And so uh, it's someone that's a pastor that understands the saints of God, the people of God. He's going to talk to us about financial, uh, some financial advice about investing and taking care of retirement, things of that nature. It's the number one. The average age of our church is 29. It's the number one requested teaching subject. Next to, or uh, after that, is holiness. Isn't that awesome? People want to be holy. They want to be righteous. And so this year we brought Brother Raymond Woodward in and taught uh, a holiness, and he'll be back with us again next year. And so someone once said that preaching saves the sinner, but teaching saves the saint. Isn't that true? We need teaching. We need roots. And to have some things that are taught and we can learn uh, here, please don't miss tomorrow. You say, well, I'm not interested in investing. You need to know about it. You need to come as a teaching. The Bible speaks a whole lot about stewardship. Can you say Amen. Then we have a lawyer coming in talking about the last will and testament. Toward the end, we're planning on a funeral director coming talking about just planning. We're not planning on everybody dying, but the Lord doesn't come in the next thousand years. We might all be there. And uh, what I've learned was as a pastor, there's a lot of unnecessary emotions that happens at deaths because business isn't taken care of. Sometimes $75 and a simple signature save you a whole lot of stress. And one of the things we'll end on is talking about a legacy drawer is where people know where the papers are, where things are, where the important papers are, if something would happen. Where does this come out of? Probably preached 30, 30 funerals in the last three years. In most cases, people had no clue. And a lot of young and unexpected things that happened in that amount of time. But uh, we want to we be the best we can be in every area of our life, don't we? Well, it sounds depressing to me to talk about this, doesn't it? I'm trying to help you as your pastor. I'm your shepherd. I am. I'm trying to be the best I can. 
bring the best to you. Really am. We heard a, a powerful word last night about the treasures. Uh, one of our other evangelists that comes here, he texted me today and said, I can't get this out of my spirit. If I don't say it, I feel I'm going to miss it. Bring him home. Brother Shane Burns texted that to me today. I believe that God's going to bring some people home. How many believe there's some treasures with values? Treasures with values. <laughs> Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving among us. Why don't we all jump to our feet, clap our hands, and thank God for backsliders coming home and people that were once in covenant with God returning to Him. Amen. Amen. He told a story last night. Remain standing. He's coming. He told a story last night about his daughter. so powerful. And uh, I was thinking today, it is so true. There's nothing out there. Dad, there's nothing out there. The prodigal returned and said, there ain't nothing out there. I, I just, every day it got worse and worse and worse and worse. It's empty. It's, it's, it's uh, dead in roads. It's, it's clouds without water. It's, how many know there's nothing out there? I'm so glad one day he let me come in. Amen. There's the blood of Jesus that's so powerful. Bill Song says, I claim the blood. Jesus shed on Calvary. Those precious blood stains were laid there just for me. In all my shame, my sickness, and my pain, when I need healing, I can claim those precious blood stains. How many need a miracle tonight? You need a, a prayer to be answered. How many know he can do it tonight? He can do it. He really can. He's able. He's able. He's able. He's able. He's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your addiction. He's bigger than your sin. Come on, he's bigger than the opposing enemy that's coming against your family. He's bigger. He's bigger. Somebody shout, he's bigger. Amen, amen. We're so glad to have our evangelist brother Azzalini with us and his precious wife. So glad that she's here. We welcome you. Would you welcome her tonight? We're so glad that she's here and their family. Amen. Come and preach the word tonight. Amen. Feels good in the house of the Lord. So glad that my wife is here with me tonight. You all should be glad too. Because she's your insurance that I don't preach too long. <laughs> yeah. I'm always looking down there for the signal. The signal. Gone too long. It's time to wrap it up. Amen. It's truly been a joy to be with you these past couple of days. I've been very humbled and honored to stand behind this pulpit and preach God's word to you. Give honor to your pastor, Pastor Bounds, and his family again. Uh, love him. He's a man that I've looked up to for a long time. So it's just been a true honor to be here with you. It's been a very great honor. If you turn in your Bibles with me tonight to the book of John, chapter 14. We're going to read verses 8 and 9, and then we'll turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. John 14, verses 8 and 9, and Acts 1 and 
Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is a message that's been churning in my spirit for months. Something the Lord began to work on on me with uh, early in this year. With the help of the Lord, I want to preach to you tonight infallible proofs. Infallible proofs. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful to be gathered together here in your presence tonight. God, I just pray that you would help me one more time. That you would put a fresh anointing upon me for this night, for this service, for this congregation. That your word would have free course in our midst. That the operation of the gifts of the Spirit would have free course in this room here tonight. That there would be a liberty, a revelation, Lord, that comes forth from your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Infallible proof. It's proof that cannot be denied. It's proof that cannot be disputed. In the presence of infallible proof, all arguments go silent. And it was with infallible proof that he showed himself to his disciples after the resurrection. When I was a young child, I didn't have many worries. I didn't have really any identity issues as a young child. I didn't care about how I looked or how I dressed or who my friends were or what brand of clothes I had on. In fact, as long as my basic needs were taken care of, that was all I really cared about. And all I really wanted was the approval of mom and dad, the desire to be affirmed by my parents is inside of all of us. It's why our kids do all of these things to impress us, right? They scribble on paper, and they call it art. And we say, man, that's beautiful. They come in, and they say, look what I can do. We say, man, that's great. We are thoroughly unimpressed. They gather together at holiday functions and come in and say, hey, we're going to put on a play for you. And they make everybody sit down and watch the play. And you endure the nightmare. Why? Because you love them. Because they're your kids, and they want to be affirmed by you. Well, as I got a little bit older, and I got into my adolescent years, all of a sudden, I stopped caring as much about what my parents thought, and I started caring about my peer group, started caring about what my peers thought about me. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be affirmed. I knew that if they would accept me, they would grant me access. 
I would have access to influence. I would have access to affirmation. I would feel safe. I would feel secure if I was accepted into a peer group. So I started shopping around for a peer group. And I just began to pick. And I looked over here and I thought, well, these are all the guys that like sports. So I'm going to get into sports. And I tried really, really hard. But I discovered something about myself. I don't have any talent when it comes to sports. And so I quickly moved on from that peer group. And, and then I discovered the hip-hop crowd. Sweet Lord. All of a sudden, my hat was backwards. My pants didn't fit. I wore big game jerseys all the time. I was part of the hip-hop crowd. But that also did not last very long. Thank the Lord. I grew up in the 90s. Oh, shudder. And in the 90s, there was another group of people called the grunge crowd. And I looked at the grunge crowd and I thought, well, they just don't care. They listen to bad music. They wear bad clothes. They got bad hygiene. Now, here's a level of expectation that I can meet. I'm going to be part of the grunge crowd. Oh, Lord. In every one of these stages of identity crisis, that's what it was, it was an identity crisis. <laughs> I needed to prove myself to those around me that I belonged. I needed to prove that I was authentic. I needed to provide evidence that I was genuine. Going back to our text in the book of John Philip questions the Lord and says, just show me that you're the Father. Give me some proof. Give me some evidence that you are who you say you are. Began to ponder and think about this question. For three and a half years, the disciples had walked with Jesus. In that time frame, they experienced a lot. They experienced deliverance. They watched as he delivered the demoniac and he came back to his right mind. They witnessed the miraculous as he performed healing after healing after healing. The woman with the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter, the list goes on and on. They saw it happen with their own eyes. They watched as the supernatural was practiced and, and Jesus commanded Lazarus to come forth from a grave and he came back to life. They heard revelatory preaching and teaching and they understood his words when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For three years, Jesus did everything he could to convince them that he was the Messiah. 
They had relationship with him. They experienced the fulfillment of prophecy with him. They traveled with him. Jesus understood that for him to be able to save them, they had to accept him because acceptance grants access to the heart. They had to believe that he was the Messiah. They had to believe that he was the fulfillment of the law. They had to believe that he was the evidence of prophecy. They had to believe uh, that he was the one that Isaiah wrote about in chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, uh, unto us a son is given, uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called uh, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They had to accept him as that. But after three and a half years, one of his disciples asks, show us the Father. After three years of evidence, after three years of proof, after three years of relationship, there was still a doubt in Philip's mind as to who he was. They still struggled to accept him. Because though he was fully God, And fully man, though he could bleed and feel pain, he still had never suffered the damage of sin personally like they had. There was still a gulf between the sinner and the Savior that inhibited the sinner to grant him complete access. See, up to that point, his disciples had seen Jesus help others with their sin, with the effects of their mistakes, with the tragedy of their plight, but they had never witnessed him have to overcome the destruction of sin himself. He was without sin, so he had never felt the sting of regret yet. He was sinless, so condemnation was not something he had to overcome. Without ever failing, he had not yet dealt with the guilt, the shame, and the suffering that sin brings on an individual's life. Jesus knew that only an all-powerful God would be able to take on the torment, the weight, the pain, the devastation that sin causes upon himself, yet without sin, and overcome sin. Jesus knew it would take this kind of evidence for people to believe that he was the mighty God in Christ. He knew that mankind would need that kind of proof to believe that he was the Messiah. Proof that was not able to be disputed. Proof that was not up for argument. Proof that was infallible. So he did something that no one else had ever done before. In his innocence, he took the price of our sin and put it on himself. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. He felt desperation for relief from infirmity every time they put stripes on his back with the whip. He felt the sting of our shame when they pushed that crown of thorns on his head. He felt the agony of betrayal when they drove those nails in his hands. He experienced the pain of bondage when they nailed his feet to the cross. He perceived the anguish of our torment when they put that spear in his side. He discerned the helplessness of our iniquity when they bruised him. But after all that, three days later, he walked out of the grave. Sin couldn't stop him. Shame couldn't condemn him. Condemnation couldn't control him. And the tomb couldn't hold him. He walked out of that grave by many infallible proofs showing the world that the wages of sin, which is death, could not stop the almighty God. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read to you verses 4, 5, and 8. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He's saying, wait here. I'm going to give you something. Just wait. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I'm going to give you power over death. And with this power, you are going to be a witness that my resurrection power is still at work. He was telling them, wait here, because the thing that separated us before, the power of my spirit that enabled me to go to the cross and overcome sin, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you infallible proof to show the world who I am. I'm going to give you newness of life. I'm going to give you resurrection power. 
See, prior to the cross, all the world had ever known was atonement. Every year, I would have to make a trip to the temple with a blood sacrifice. That sacrifice would delay my sentencing for a year. Didn't wash away my sins, just delayed the penalty. Bought me some time. When Jesus died on Calvary, he became the spotless lamb, the ultimate blood sacrifice. His spotless blood then remitted paid for, washed away, and completely erased forever the sins of every man that desired it. It created a pathway to repentance so that every time we mess up, we can be completely forgiven. But then he took it a step farther. He rose again. And he poured out his spirit. He said, I'm not just going to give you redemption. I'm going to give you resurrection power. So you can rise above the sin that got you in trouble to begin with. So you can live in victory. So you can conquer sin in the flesh. See, now you don't have to walk in the flesh. You can walk in the spirit and overcome temptation because of his resurrection power. Acts 1 and 8 tells us, ye shall be witnesses. Being a witness is not just someone who shares their testimony. Jesus knew that some of us, even though we are under a mandate to do so, would not share our testimony verbally. So he decided not to depend on our obedience to witness, but rather to put his evidence on display. I'll prove it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is Paul writing. How be it, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I'll break it down for you. Saul, who was also called Paul, said, I was the chiefest of sinners. Everyone knew who Saul of Tarsus was. They knew that he persecuted the Jews. They knew that he was guilty of heinous crimes against followers of Jesus. The Bible says he did much evil to the saints in Jerusalem. Everybody knew who he was and what he believed. Paul says in these verses in Timothy, it was because of my notoriety that Jesus chose 
me mercy and a pattern of long suffering so that everyone that heard him would believe in life everlasting. You didn't get it. Paul said, everybody knew how bad I was. Everybody knew how evil I was. I was known throughout all the region. So when I had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he completely changed my life, if I would never have opened my mouth, my life by itself completely transformed would have been an infallible proof to the greatness and the glory of God. He chose me and made me an example of his long-suffering and his mercy mercy because everybody knew just how evil I was and when they see me now they know my God only Jesus can do a work like that only Jesus can turn a life around like that second Corinthians 3 Beginning with verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts. Known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. See, when you're in need and you come to him and he answers that need, and the people around you see it, that's evidence that he's Jehovah Jireh. When you need healing and the doctor can't fix it, the doctor ain't got a prescription, but all of a sudden Jesus steps in and takes care of the disease, it's an infallible proof that he's Jehovah Rapha. When confusion breaks out in your life and people see the chaos, they see the torment, but they see you walking around with peace. They see you walking around with joy regardless of the circumstances. It's an infallible proof that he is Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. When people see your steps being ordered of him and your steps being directed and led by the Holy Ghost, they know that he's Jehovah Ra. He is my shepherd. And I love this one. When people see the transformation in a sinner's life and they see the landscape of their life begin to change it's an infallible proof that he is Jehovah Kaddish the Lord who sanctifies you 
Some of you have been ashamed of the things that you've gone through. You've been ashamed of your history, of your story, of your testimony. I'm telling you here tonight, it's time for you to take off uh, that priestly robe uh, because your story uh, is an infallible proof uh, to the greatness uh, and goodness uh, of God. Uh, Don't you be afraid uh, of your scars. Uh, Don't you be afraid uh, of your history. Uh, You put it on display uh, and say, look uh, what my Jesus uh, has done. Uh, He rewrote uh, my story. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. See, the enemy wants you to be ashamed. He wants you to hide in a corner. But this thing wasn't done in a corner. He would, the enemy would have wished uh, that Paul would have found uh, a corner to hide in. Uh, but Paul stood up uh, and said, I'm not going to hide my past. Uh, I was the chiefest uh, of sinners. Uh, but look uh, at me now. Uh, I'm an infallible proof uh, that if God uh, did it for me, uh, he can do it for you. Uh, he can do it for you. Uh, he can do it for you. Saints of God, your story is the greatest infallible proof that this world will ever witness. It'll reach everybody in your circle of influence. It'll reach everybody in your sphere. Why don't you stop hiding the pain? Stop hiding the scars and show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. See, Mephibosheth, he had a problem. He was impaired. He had a disability. And the Bible says that when he came to the king's table, he was covered up. He sat at the king's table. You couldn't see that there was a problem. Hmm. See, we come into the house of God with our suits, our ties. I believe in that. I believe that when I'm in the presence of the king, I ought to look my best. But when I walk out that door, it's all right for you to see my impairments. It's all right for you to see my shortcomings. Because along with it, you're going to see that his grace is sufficient for me. I'm not going to, oh, shut that I'm not going to try to hide who I am when I walk out of this place. I'm going to say, look what Jesus has done. He turned my mind from a reprobate mind to a sound mind. He gave me the mind of Christ. He changed my speech and now I glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. (laughs) 
I started evangelizing a couple years ago. And I do most of my evangelizing at this juncture in Ohio. Probably 80% of my preaching is right here in Ohio. I was having another one of those pity parties. You remember those? Talked about those last night. And I said, Lord, so why don't you open up some other districts? There's 49 more states, some with better weather. I'm like, send me south, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's like, Lord, why do I preach so much in Ohio? Lord was like, people know you in Ohio. I said, they watched you walk away when you were 18 years old. They saw a young man who had a call of God on his life that left. He said, I'll tell you why I got you in Ohio. Because I'm showing them my infallible proof that I can reach anybody, anywhere, any place, any time. My arm's not short. They saw you walk away, Vinny, and now they see you coming back. They see you preaching my gospel. Why don't you take off your mask and let this world see the work that Christ has done in you. I'm going to come to a close. Musicians will come. You know, it's funny. When I Tried to be an athlete. That was funny, actually. It was very funny. I was a starter on the bench. <laughs> Every time. I knew right where my spot was. See, when I tried to be an athlete, when I tried to be vanilla ice, oh, Lord. I lost it right there. <laughs> when I tried to be all these things that I wasn't and tried to fit in somewhere I didn't belong, I've forgotten something. <laughs> I forgot that when I was eight years old, I was baptized in Jesus' name. And when I was 12 years old, I was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it didn't matter what brand I tried to put on myself. I was a son of God. No matter what I had on, no matter where I went, no matter what I looked like, I could never cover up the fact that I was bought by the blood of Jesus. I was a walking, infallible proof to the goodness and greatness and glory of Jesus. You know, our world is asking the same question right now that Philip asked. 
They're asking, show us the Father. You probably have 200 churches within 10 miles of here. All claiming that the Father lives there. A lot of the people that you encounter out there are already going to have some kind of an encounter with the Father. But just like you and me, they're searching for something that's authentic. They're searching for something that's genuine. They're saying, show me where the Father's house really is. Show us the Father. Ye shall be witnesses. By many infallible proofs, the church of the living God can show them the Father. When you walk in and say, this is what my life used to look like, but this is what it looks like now. That's the greatest proof uh, that you could ever show them of the Father. If you've been in church all your life uh, and you come in and say, look, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, my kids are pure. Uh, my kids are walking right. Uh, my wife is walking right. Uh, I'm walking right. Uh, we got joy in our spirit. Uh, we've never touched alcohol. Uh, we've never touched drugs. Uh, they'll look and say, hey, uh, only the Father uh, can do that. Show us the Father. There's great harvest attached to this church. And I believe that tonight the Lord is going to release a boldness in this congregation. To be witnesses like never before. Some of you have been sitting on your testimony for too long. Putting on a mask and covering up your story. It's time to show this world the infallible proofs. Show them what Jesus has done for you. you begin to open your mouth and share your testimony you're going to see an immediate influx in harvest it will be immediate 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 grab a hold of the boldness that the Holy Ghost is pouring out in this sanctuary tonight and it will be immediate it will be immediate in the name of Jesus Christ open your mouth and declare the wonderful works of God I'm opening up this altar right now. And what I'm asking for, 
is what Brother Huntley preached about a couple years ago in our district. He preached about a unified response. I'm asking you tonight for a unified response in this last night of revival. I'm asking every person in this sanctuary to make your way forward into this altar. If you're with somebody tonight that needs the Holy Ghost, I want you to get near them right now because you're going to pray for them in just a minute. God's going to fill them with the Holy Ghost. If you're with somebody that needs to find repentance tonight, you get with them right now. Go to where they are. You're going to pray with them. You're going to help them find an altar of repentance tonight. You've never witnessed to anybody before tonight. God's going to give you a boldness that when you leave this place, you're going to open your mouth and you're going to show them who the Father is by many infallible proofs. Come on, can we lift our hands all across this altar? Let's lift our voice and begin to cry out to him right now. If you're with somebody that needs the Holy Ghost, I want you to begin to pray for them right now. God's going to fill them with the gift of the Holy Ghost right now. That's it, come on. There's a boldness getting ready to be poured out. Some of you are going to start working the altars like you've never worked them before. You're going to start witnessing like you've never witnessed before. He alamasea, he alamasea, he alamasea, that's it. He makonoromosha, in the name of Jesus, who pour out a holy boldness on your people here tonight. Give them the faith and the boldness to step out, to speak up, to share what you've been doing in their life. Don't release them into harvest. Release them into demonstration. Release them into boldness. Release